there's nothing in the world quite like Rodeo Drive. I'm Bronwyn Cosgrave, and you are listening to Rodeo Drive, the podcast. This is a show about the makers and creators behind the three world-renowned blocks in Beverly Hills. In a moment, you'll hear from one of them, the Oscar-winning costume designer, Ruth E. Carter. The pump was primed for fashion to be positioned in a place to take action now. Right now, Rodeo Drive is along with the rest of the world facing two pandemics, coronavirus and racial injustice. The fashion industry and retail were hard hit by COVID-19. Now they must grapple with a wake-up call on race. That's what we will talk about with Ruth E. Carter, as well as her amazing career as a costume designer working in theater, cinema, and television over three decades. First, though, let's check back in with Kathy Gohari of the Rodeo Drive Committee. The Rodeo Drive Committee represents retailers on the street. The last time we spoke with Kathy, store owners were getting ready to reopen after weeks of lockdown. Then came the Black Lives Matter protests. The crowd really just face-to-face with the officers here after what has been a certainly tense afternoon here on Rodeo Drive. We did watch earlier as a small fraction of the crew uh, did breach into the Alexander McQueen store, looting that store. Far more did not do that. Many more were peaceful. Most like this, just chanting. Well, hardly the reopening they were expecting for this weekend, uh, those shop owners. Now the stores are reopening again. I asked Kathy how Rodeo Drive has been affected. Really, this is a day-by-day development for us. Things are difficult on all facets. We're all having some really, really challenging conversations, um, uncomfortable conversations, uh, subjects that need to be addressed, changes that need to be made. And this has all come at a point where... As you can imagine, we have all been locked into our homes, into our Mm. cages for months now Mm. because of the first pandemic. And there is unemployment, there is um, poverty, there's lack of income, health issues. I mean, there's so many human elements involved. And in the midst of all of this, we are also facing a fight against racism. And we're very proud to be part of this movement. This is, this is big. This is big for us. This is big for humanity in general. What's it like on Rodeo Drive today? Today, as I'm sitting here right now, there's still boards up everywhere. You would not recognize our beautiful Rodeo Drive today. It is absolutely a different environment that what is one to expect of our luxury destination. It's blocked off because there is definitely damaged glass and stores that were tagged. So it's not exactly the safest environment. We've all taken every precaution to try to take care of those damages so that we can open safely for our employees and our guests. So Kathy, the boards are coming off. How does that make you feel? dare I say, hopeful, excited. I I want to see the street alive again. I, I want to see employees who have been 
sitting home for the past three months to feel safe and secure and protected and come back. I think the community needs that. You need the energy in the city. Right now, the energy is somewhat stagnant. We need the restaurants to open. We need to have salons. We need people to find a safe way to coexist at this time and be able to enjoy their lives. You know, this is a whole new era for us. Uh, we will be having signs on our door that says social distancing. Masks are obligatory. You cannot enter an establishment without a mask. We need to protect our clients. We need to protect our staff. It's a different way of doing business. But definitely, for now, this is the best that we can do. That's Kathy Gohari, Director of Client Engagement at Valentino. On May 25th, George Floyd, a 46-year-old black man, died in Minneapolis, Minnesota, after a white police officer named Derek Chauvin knelt on Floyd's neck for almost nine minutes. This tragedy triggered protests at unceasing racial injustice that have gone global. Fashion and Hollywood are no strangers to accusations of racial inequity and insensitivity. We are going to talk about that now with someone who straddles both worlds, the costume designer Ruth E. Carter. In 2019, Ruth became the first African-American to win the Best Costume Design Academy Award. She got the Oscar for her work on Ryan Coogler's Marvel blockbuster, Black Panther. The costumes Ruth created for Black Panther established her as a preeminent voice on Afro aesthetics. The extraordinary look she conceived for the film merged traditional African tribal wear with contemporary fashion. To assemble the wardrobe, Ruth relied on manual craftsmanship as well as technology like 3D printing. Black Panther is one of 40 films Ruth has worked on since starting her career in Hollywood in 1986, and we will hear more about that career shortly. But I wanted first to get Ruth's reaction to the protests prompted by the murder of George Floyd. My reaction, it was just like everyone else, that it's about time. I think that how that... um, those images played out for me when I saw it. I was devastated, heartbroken. It took me a long time to watch the whole thing, but I was determined to watch the whole thing. I think the first, you know, 30 seconds of it was enough for me to be enraged. Um, But we have been experiencing this kind of activity amongst the police force for a long, long time. And You know, this video tipped the iceberg and brought it to everyone's phone, everyone's computer, where they too could understand that there was an imbalance in our our legal system. I mean, the idea that this could be you, I think, just started to hit home for a lot of people, that this could be you, that this, this is injustice. How do we action the urgent sentiment that Black Lives Matter in your fields? And that's costume, Mm -hmm. film, and fashion. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that the action will take place. I think that there was a, a bit of a momentum building as far as 
um, luxury brands coming more so connected to the urban fashion where you had Dapper Dan, you had uh, entertainers like Billie Eilish wearing Gucci in a very different way. You had, you know, Virgil over off-white, you know, presenting just, you know, a very street cultural style. And we were rejecting things that were negative images, like uh, Gucci put out that mask with the black face on it mm-hmm. and it was rejected. And so I feel like the pump was primed for fashion to be positioned in a place to take action now. And because there's already a base for it, there's already things there that I can see that would be embraced by urban fashion now. And it can take a further step. And those steps can be um, regarding, you know, their practices and their manufacturing and and who they support and, you know, proceeds that go to certain alliances. I know uh, Ava DuVernay, um, she just announced LEAP. Um, I think giving to Black Lives Matter and organizations that are put now in place to police the police to you know watch how you know we treat our neighbors and to you know give people more of a voice I think you know there is a time to uh, start giving back I remember I bought a t-shirt that I really loved um, from Mark Jacobs and it had a, a spigot. It was a silk screen of a spigot with a drip of water coming out of the spigot. And and every every shirt that was sold, those proceeds went to clean water um, for areas that did not have it. And I was really proud of that shirt. I was so proud of buying that shirt. So, you know, fashion needs to continually do those kinds of things. And There's Stella McCartney, who is always trying to think about things that are sustainable. You know, it's that kind of attitude towards the consumer that not only do you take their dollars, but you also give back to them who support you. I think I'm taking away one word here, and it's really mindfulness. Yes. How has your own protest been motivated and how has it informed your journey? I I try to think of different ways that I can make a difference. Um, I was really big with uh, and, and involved with the Rodney King um, protests after the riot, but it only lasted a little while. Um, I remember I was living in Koreatown when the riots happened, and the next day, Edward James almost announced that he was going to be on Adams and Western, and he was going to start cleaning up the the mess that was made from all the looting. He was going to clean up the neighborhood. If anybody wanted to join and meet him at that, that intersection, and I leaped out of my apartment and went straight there and we walked all over South Central and we cleaned up. And I just felt like I did a small part, but it was very short lived. So my, my protest is to, you know, use my platform to be a voice, you know, to find the artists who are also creating voices of, of protest, voices of uh, solidarity, and 
also, you know, wherever I can create garments of protest. And uh, you look at the hoodie um, that Trayvon Martin wore and you think, you know, how, what kind of statement, what does that make now? I did do the right thing. We had Radio Rahim. Radio Rahim wore in a, a shirt that was uh, hand-painted by a local Brooklyn artist. And, you know, all of these garments are, are metaphors for, you know, our, our children living in a war zone. And we can use them to further their voice and to honor their lives and to speak out against the crimes against them. It's sort of like filmmaking. The best type of filmmaking is showing mm-hmm. rather than telling. Yes, I think so. And I think that people want to adorn themselves in solidarity. Um, I see a lot of black when I see uh, protesters in some areas, you know, when you're thinking about marching, you want to put on something that empowers you. And there's all of the T-shirts and slogans and things that people are wearing as, you know, to to make themselves one in solidarity with everyone else. And I think that's really powerful in the outward appearance of it all. You are listening to Ruth E. Carter. She has made 14 films with Spike Lee. The big ones like Jungle Fever, Mo Better Blues, and Do the Right Thing were just like Black Panther, directional for fashion. Ruth Carter has collaborated repeatedly with the great African-American directors who rose up alongside and after Spike Lee. Among them, the late John Singleton, Reginald Hudlin, Robert Townsend, Keenan Ivory Wayans, Lee Daniels, and Ryan Coogler. Ruth helped these directors establish modern black cinema. The biggest blockbuster of them all was Black Panther, which made millions of people aware of the term Afrofuturism. Afrofuture is about thinking ahead and being proactive and being empowered. So uh, like when you think of Black Panther, you think of movies that, you know, are defined as um, Afrofuture, you see culture, you see past, but you also see this nuance of the superhero. You see this nuance of this uh, reawakening of our past into a futuristic model. So, um, you know, when I think of Afrofuture in clothing, I think of, you know, using uh, African lace and creating, putting it in the computer and creating a beautiful shoulder mantle for Queen Ramonda. That's Afrofuture. For taking the Ishikolo, the married woman's uh, South African hat, and uh, 3D printing it in the computer. And it's still uh, adorning the shape and having all of the meaning and the culture, but uh, done in such a future, made in such a futuristic way. It's, it's uh, something fresh and something new and something exciting. So, you know, you can embrace your Afro future by being a thought provoker, by using our messages of I can't breathe and stop killing us and we can present ourselves as uh, the future artists writers 
producers, directors, and encourage those who don't know us um, and educate them to our role in being a part of the landscape of the future. In February 2019, you became the first African-American to win the Best Costume Design Academy Award. Can you talk to us about the significance of winning this award? What does it mean for everybody? It means that you can too. It means uh, that you are not stuck in any kind of a situation or any kind of a, a thing that you think is, you know, stopping you. You're, you're, you're free to be the, the best and you're free to win the top award. And I always thought about what if, as I was going through my career, even though I was advised by Spike and others, you know, don't think about awards, but I did wonder in my mind, because there wasn't one before me, I thought if I get the right project, I can be positioned to be the first to get that award and knock down that wall that may be, you know, erected by the fact that, you know, people only hail certain types of films as being the best and, you know, as part of my um, learning of my craft, um, excelling was a desire of mine throughout my career. How can I do this better? And I was constantly trying to grow as an artist so, you know, it was nerve wracking as I don't know what to go up on that Dolby stage, but, but I got there and it was incredible. You talk about knocking down a wall. Can you look back over the almost, it's almost two years now. Can you see evidence that you knocked down a wall? Oh yeah. How? Mm-hmm. Well, personally, I'm positioned to be a, a, a leader. I have this little gold statue now, so I'm asked, uh, you know, uh, by a a vast variety of uh, people to come on to um, their projects in in different capacities, too, some as producer and some as writer. And I I think, you know, it's sort of like, you know, a cloak of, of magic that happens when you get this award. But, you know, I'm constantly reminding myself of who I am and, and where I, what I want to do. Um, there's that. Um, there's also the fact that um, I've been in the academy for over 25 years already. I, I was invited after I was nominated for Malcolm X, and I've been in the academy ever since. But within the two, last two years, I was um, elected to be a governor and congratulations thank you and that means a lot to me because even though I've been there for so long I really didn't fully embrace the difference I could make by being a part of this organization so I'm excited about um, things that we are all doing to make it a better industry I would like to ask you about one of your greatest fashion nights of your lifetime, and that was the night you won the Oscar. Can you tell us about what you wore and how you dressed for it? 
Well, you know, I could have worn like a paper bag and I would have still been happy and, and honored, but I didn't. I did wear a dress that was by B. Michael America. He um, met me in New York and we decided that he would make this dress for me. Um, because I'm a designer too, uh, it's very nerve wracking for a designer to dress a, a designer. I seem to remember it was kind of metallic. It was metallic, the blue. It was like a, a chroma key blue metallic um, underdress. And this tapestry of a cape uh, with big sleeves and stuff. And um, we also created a beautiful collar that was 3D printed. And it didn't work with the cape. Didn't you wear it to the Vanity Fair party? I wore the 3D piece. I took the cape off and I wore the 3D collar to the Vanity Fair party. Yeah. And, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. I'm always looking at, oh, I should have done it in this order or that order. But, you know, it's a tough, tough place to be. You know, it's a wonderful <laughs> place, but it's a tough place to be. Well, the problem is you have to look great from every angle, particularly yeah. if you win an Oscar because you're being trailed all night. Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. And uh, backstage there, there's a whole host of reporters and interviews that are happening. And you're just swept away. You are swept away. Ruth, I want to ask you, you know, you mentioned this, Ava DuVernay is a part of this, but over the last year or so, you know, big, venerable fashion brands, Gucci and Prada, Mm -hmm. have set up initiatives for diversity and inclusion, global Mm. initiatives. Mm. Why is this a step in the right direction? I think because they realize they too are diverse and that um, the the white privilege that has uh, been uh, somewhat of a topic can be seen within their organizations and how they present their lines to the world. And I believe that, you know, they see the need for it within their organizations. They see the the lack of it and want to join, you know, the conversation, want to join the community, want to join, want to reach out and touch someone. And I think it's the right thing to do. Ruthie Carter, thank you for talking to Rodeo Drive, the podcast. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's been fun. That was Ruth E. Carter. And this is Rodeo Drive, the podcast. On the next episode, Michael Chow, the legendary designer and restaurateur, will tell the story of dreaming up a groundbreaking design for Giorgio Armani's Rodeo Drive flagship. I gotta get people from ground floor to upstairs, right? They come in, I gotta suck them up somehow, you know? I can use a sucking machine, but that's a little bit impractical. So what I did was present a mistake case, boom, there, right? Hear how Michael Chow turned shopping into theater and how his work influenced a generation of stores on Rodeo Drive. Rodeo Drive, the podcast, is presented by the Rodeo Drive Committee with the support of the City of Beverly Hills. It is edited by Francis Anderton and Avishai Artsy. 
Brian Banks composed the theme music. Livia Mandul, Mirabelle Allen, and Guthrie McCarty-Vashon are the production coordinators. The executive producer is Lynn Winter. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Rodeo Drive, the podcast. I'm Bronwyn Cosgrave. Thanks for listening. Thank you.